not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Well, we're just a couple days away from the Thanksgiving holiday, and most of us like Thanksgiving because it's one of the less commercialized of all the holidays. Uh, I think of Thanksgiving as being about the four F's, food, family, friends. No, I knew you were going to say football. Faith is the fourth. So... So we'll go ahead, we'll make it five. You can have your football too. But don't forget the faith as a part of our Thanksgiving celebration. We, I knew Linda was going to say football. We have this great opportunity to remember to give thanks. We have a chance to reset. And, you know, lots of families actually do this. They go around the table and they say, what are you thankful for on this day? It's that opportunity for us to uh, uh, rekindle the attitude of gratitude that we should be carrying in our lives. But, you know, there, there's this thing where we ought to be having that attitude of gratitude every single day. And, and part of the human problem is uh, that we have a tendency often to see the negative in a situation or a circumstance. In fact, uh, scientists have done studies, they call it negativity bias, where we have a tendency to dwell on or focus on the one negative thing in the midst of a, maybe a lot of good things. So uh, take, for instance, you know, uh, you're getting your annual review at work. And your supervisor sits you down and says, here are eight things you're doing really, really well. I'm just so pleased. And uh, then there's one area that I would like you to improve a little. And you walk away from that review, and most people, what they're going to remember is the area where they need to improve a little. They're not going to remember all the eight things that you're doing great. Or say you, you know, you like your home, you have a nice uh, house, apartment, condo, but in the dining room is this lighting fixture, a chandelier that you can't stand. And every time you walk in the dining room, you're not going to see how nicely furnished it is. You're not going to see what a beautiful space. No, you're going to, oh, I hate that chandelier. We have this tendency, and, and the scientific studies prove it, that somehow the negative catches our brain's attention. And, you know, you can think about it. Well, once upon a time, it probably was a survival mechanism, because if there's a bunch of animals over there, you want to be able to keep your eye on the one that might eat you. I mean, seriously, right? All those animals, okay, but that one, no. I'm not going to pet. 
So there is this tendency in our, our human lives to have this kind of focus on the things that aren't so good, but the life of faith encourages us to focus on the goodness of God, to focus on uh, thanksgiving all the time for what God is doing in our lives. And here is where Paul's letter to the Philippians comes in so nicely. Because this letter to the Philippians is just this great letter of thanksgiving and celebration and giving thanks for this and that. And you know, uh, you ought to make it your thanksgiving tradition that every thanksgiving you read the letter to the Philippians and let it remind you of Paul's great witness to the goodness of God in all things. And when he begins this letter, he says, really, I give thanks. Now, the Greek word there, and Joe's not here today to correct my Greek, the Greek word there is eucharisteo. And this is the same word that the church uses, Eucharist, but we call it, anybody know? Holy Communion. Now, the traditional church word is Eucharist. It comes from the Greek, to give thanks. Every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are to be giving thanks, to remember what God has done, what Jesus has done, what the Holy Spirit is doing, and to give thanks. The most common ritual we do in this church, we celebrate, is Thanksgiving. It should always remind us to give thanks. And Paul says, I give thanks every time I remember you. I give thanks to God. I think of you. I give thanks to God. This is where he starts that letter. And where he ends the letter is that very famous passage where Paul says, I, uh, I have learned to be content in every situation that I face. I have learned to be content because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I give thanks in every situation that I face. No matter what it is, I can give thanks to God. Now, this is the kind of gratitude we should be living in our life of faith in following Jesus. So when we get to chapter 3 in these verses today, Paul helps us think about how we cultivate that attitude of gratitude, what that looks like in our life of faith. And you get in this passage, a couple times he talks about pressing on. Uh, the word in Greek is diako, and uh, it's a pretty good translation, you know, but, but it really does have this connotation of running a race and pressing on in a race. Uh, so the first thing you got to notice is Paul isn't saying, you confessed Christ, you've reached the goal. You're at the finish line. No, he didn't say that at all. He says, you have started running the race, now you need to keep pressing on. I would put it this way, Paul is saying you need to go deeper. You need to seek God even more. You need to follow Christ more closely. You need to keep running the race in this life. 
I know that there are, well, there's at least one person in here who runs races. Maybe David has run races. Maybe some of you did. When I was younger, I'd run some races. And you know, when you go to run a race, uh, if it's a 5K or a 10K, right, and at the starting line, you're all packed in there, right? Everybody's, and then, and then the, the real problem at the starting line is that slow runners think if they get up front, somehow they'll win the race. So for the first, you know, like mile, all you're doing is running around those slower runners. Am I right? They're just these obstacles in your path. And that is exactly like the life of faith. You start at the starting line, you start running the race of faith, and obstacles are going to be before you. And either you stop and you go, well, I don't want to, I don't want, these people are making me mad. And you go and get your car and go home or you run around them. You find ways to get around the obstacles because running the race, you want to press on. You're not done. You want to find the finish line. That's the first thing that Paul is trying to convey in this, this metaphor of a race. Well, then there's a second thing I think that happens. You know, once you kind of get past all that having to weave your way through people, and you get to kind of your pace in the race, you have a tendency to sometimes focus on a certain person or you'll catch up and run alongside someone else. In other words, part of running the race is watching someone who's gone before you or having companions who are running that race with you and who are also interested in reaching the finish line. And this is, again, true of our faith. You know, I think about Mary Moore, uh, who I think is watching online today. And Mary will often, if you've been around her, she'll talk about the faith of her grandmother and how her grandmother's faith never wavered in and was so strong that it, to this day, inspires Mary. And was Mary 92 or 93? She is still inspired by the faith that she witnessed in her grandmother who was running the race and pressing on. We, all of us, look to people who we admire, who inspire us in the faith, who encourage us to keep running that race, to don't quit, to go on to the finish line. And I would challenge you, who are your people who are just ahead of you running the race that you can look to to encourage you to continue and to press on with this race of faith? Then there's a third thing when you're running. You know what happens uh, a lot of times it is it's, a, it's kind of a slog through three miles or five miles or six miles, but when you catch a glimpse of the finish line, you get this, unless you've really overdone, you get this burst of energy, the finish line, I'm going to finish strong. And, you know, one time uh, I was running a race and back in June, and this, I was getting to the end, I was tired, and this, like, 18-year-old girl comes up right at the finish line. She's going to pass me. And I looked at her and I said, uh-uh. 
and I got this little spurt of energy to finish the race, to press on. And I think that's the other thing. You know, sometimes in the life of faith, we catch a glimpse of Jesus going before us. We catch this glimpse of God at work in our lives. We catch this, this sense that God, God's goodness is present to us, and that inspires us to press on to the finish line. But there's a fourth thing, I think, uh, that Paul would convey in this metaphor of running a race. And it seems that when you get out there and you begin to run a race, you become really focused on that race. And what I mean by that is, suppose you were driving up there and you were worried about, oh, I've got to do this, and I, I don't know what I'm, you know. Once you get there and once you start running, you're focused on how your body feels. You're focused on your breathing. You're focused on whether you can catch that person up there. You're focused on the wind and the rain or the sunshine. You're focused on uh, the water station and the mile marker. You are really, really, really present to that race. Okay, I got a nod there. You, you're really there. You're present to it. And that is so much the key to the life of faith and to carrying gratitude with us is this idea that we are really present in the moment to where we are and what we're doing. My friend Doug, I first met when uh, he was a cadet at the Air Force Academy, uh, probably 18 years old, and he was smart as could be. He was very athletic. He was a really nice guy and uh, good sense of humor, maybe a little sar sarcastic at times. But he also was, uh, you know, a guy of faith and he would go to church. But by his own admission, his faith at that point, uh, like many 18, 19 year olds, would be mm, uh, kind of transactional. And by that I mean, uh, if I go to church and I believe in God, God will do things for me. If I go to church and believe in God, uh, God will give me things I want. I'm being a good, good guy, right? And that was kind of the faith that he operated on. Well, so Doug graduated. He became an Air Force pilot. Uh, he got married to Crystal. They had four kids. And uh, he became a commercial airline pilot, very involved in his church, just living a life in which uh, he was trying to grow in his faith and live his life the best he could. Well, uh, two Saturdays ago, uh, Doug got up and uh, went on a long bicycle ride with friends. He, he loved to cycle and he did that often. And in the midst of this long ride, he had a heart attack and died. Doug was 53 years old. And as a pilot, you have regular physicals there was no sense that there was anything wrong with Doug until he died. So last Saturday, like many who knew Doug, uh, I went online to watch the service because I needed to process how this was even possible. And the most interesting thing about that funeral service, whether it was his friends, whether it was his kids, whether it was his wife who got up to speak, they all were talking about not 
uh, his heroic uh, times as a pilot, not, you know, I, he did this in church or that thing, or, you know. But really, the way his faith in God had grown and the way he tried every day to serve others, the way he was striving to be Christ-like in his life. Two years ago, he had dedicated himself to becoming more Christ-like with his wife, his family, his church, and everyone he encountered. And if you asked him, he'd say, I am far from Christ-like. But that's not how other people saw him. And it seems that his motto these past couple years was this, be present. Apparently, he would end phone conversations, be present. He would, uh, in the evening, his wife would be washing dishes, and he would say, Crystal, come here, let's look at the sunset, be present. He would be out hiking with his kids and he'd see a beautiful leaf and he'd stop and pick it up and, and say to them, look at this, be present. Doug was beginning to see the hand of God in everything, in every situation, in everywhere he went with everyone he encountered. He had this sense of being present to the goodness of God in that situation. And guess what? In that funeral, that is exactly what those who were grieving so deeply were expressing. Doug had taught them to be present in the worst possible thing. They could still see that God was running the race with them. This is the kind of witness that Paul is calling each and every one of us to be, to run the race, to press on through all circumstances, through all obstacles, no matter what comes our way, we can recognize the hand of God at work in our lives and the hand of God present to others. We are called to give thanks for every circumstance, for every situation, because that infinite love of God and the goodness of God is always present, no matter what. When we see it, we press on to the goal of the heavenly prize in Christ Jesus our Lord. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.